I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is CEO and strategist Neil Foote. We're going to be talking about 10 of the largest black business exits in history. The history of black Americans is filled with a powerful list of examples of highly successful entrepreneurs, not all of whom are well known. Recent National Association of Black Journalists Hall of Fame inductee Neil Foote shares with us 10 black entrepreneurs who sold their businesses to major U.S. corporations for sums ranging from tens of millions to billions of dollars. Among these profitable success stories are Oprah Winfrey, Dr. Dre, Jay-Z, Rochelle Dennis, and Robert L. Johnson. With these kinds of numbers being thrown around, we have to wonder what aspiring entrepreneurs could learn from these legendary moguls. What are some of their common characteristics? Neil Foote is CEO of Foote Communications, LLC, a public relations, content management, and multicultural marketing firm. He was formerly a business journalist for the Miami Herald and the Washington Post. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on, Neil. Thank you so much. Great to be with you today. Well, uh, 10 of the largest black business exits in history, probably half of them, we do know who they are. I read some of them. Obviously, Oprah is one of them. Dr. J, I mean, Jay-Z, Dr. Dre. But what about the ones we don't know about and why don't we know about them? Particularly the first person on your list, uh, Robert L. Johnson. I mean, he's a billionaire. And we don't hear, yeah. Why don't we hear about Robert L. Johnson? Why don't we know about him? Yeah, we know about Oprah, but we don't know about him. Uh, exactly. So, you know, Robert L. Johnson, as significant as each of these individuals are, because they kind of sh- symbolize, and we'll get into this a little bit later, the, the, the hard work, dedication, the ability to come up with great ideas, find investors. But what Robert L. Johnson did, and I had a chance to interview him many, many years ago as a business reporter, what he did was identify key market opportunity, which was during the time that he launched this station back in the the late 70s, believe it or not, there was not a single network that was targeting the African-American audience. What he realized based on his research was that there was an opportunity to provide content to this audience that uh, even then, as it is now, is one of the most powerful consumer buying segments in the country. So he began the network really focusing on black entertainment. If you recall, during the 70s, we had MTV. Uh, He kind of did the African-American version of MTV, showcasing so many of the the, uh, African-American musicians and artists of the time, showcasing their videos, providing entertainment programming that was not existing on mainstream TV. So what he did, he corralled his industry partners. He had a background in business and investment and in media. He was able to find some business partners, one gentleman who's still very much involved in media, John Malone, to help invest in the initial startup of BET. And from there, it just took off. It not only became a go-to network, not only for music and entertainment, but it also launched a news channel uh, that became kind of a go-to segment for African-American news forward by African-Americans uh, and about those issues that affected the, the community. 
uh, he built so much value that as as uh, as we learned that by 2001, Viacom again mega uh, media company that was beginning to acquire all sorts of media companies, including CBS during that period, acquired his company for about a billion dollars. Well, that was when the company was listed and earnings at a billion dollars, but he sold it to Viacom for $3 billion. So significant because of not only targeting a key audience, finding niche content that reached the audience and advertisers, and building value for a broad audience that not only targeted uh, this audience, but became hugely popular in the general market as well. Neil, so very fascinating and, individual. Yeah, it's a fascinating story, and obviously selling it to Viacom for a billion dollars. But what were some of the, or can you describe in detail, some of the barriers that he had to, that he faced by you know, as a, a black entrepreneur, as you say, he had to start out and build this business so he could sell it to Viacom, obviously. And uh, but so, what were what are some of the specific things that he, the barriers that he had to face to get to that point? Absolutely. Uh, well, Catherine, I think you established that some of the barriers we're going to talk about that affected him also impacted not only the ten on this ten or eleven on this list, but also many other African Americans. One of that one is kind of credibility in the marketplace, uh, which means that great idea, but trying to find funding was a huge issue. So he spent countless hours, as so many black entrepreneurs do, trying to find investors. You know, there's a recent McKinsey study that shows that 47% of black business owners request loans uh, that were approved compared to 75% for white business owners. And only 4% of business owners owned by black entrepreneurs are still in business after three and a half years compared with the national average of 55.5%. Why? Well, again, access to capital. Banks are very reluctant to want to finance uh, African-American businesses because they don't believe those had a track record, even though someone with the credibility of Robert Allen Johnson, even at the time he was seeking the funds, did. Lack of uh, of uh, basically network in this case for him trying to get distribution. Uh, so being able to find advertisers who not only would buy in and buy advertising on the network, advertisers for for many periods, particularly during for media companies, were reluctant to buy into black programming. Um, uh, and for other entrepreneurs, the challenges for them is getting, you know, we, we talked about Jay-Z, you talked about Oprah Winfrey in that case. Again, here it is, Oprah Winfrey, one of the most iconic names, and Jay-Z, one of the most successful you know, musicians in the world. All of them have faced this credibility gap with, with not only banks, venture capitalists, other investors who have questioned the ability for black business to succeed, and not only that, but reach a global audience. Uh, so those are some of the barriers that uh, have, have uh, that, that Robert L. Johnson, you know, uh, he Overcame, became hugely successful, and some of the others have that we're going to talk about on this list, and some of the others uh, who we may never hear about. You, you started this conversation about talking about who are the folks that we haven't heard of. You know, one of the folks on the list, Andre Swanston. You know, here it is, a gentleman who grew up in New York. Uh, you know, was able to to uh, build a, a success not only in 
uh, in college when he, while in Connecticut, he launched his own business to run an entertainment club. Um, then he decided to get in uh, the investment advisement business, got together with some key people. Uh, they came up with a cool idea called True Optic, which was really an advertising technology platform. And he probably spent, I don't know, close to two years getting people convinced that not only the platform was credible, but he as an African-American entrepreneur had a credible product that was really reaching an audience and providing a service and tool that could be very useful to the industry. Well, that works okay, out so that's a, that's Andre. I'm going to introduce you, uh, interrupt for a second because we, I listed yeah, there uh-huh. are ten on this list, but I do want to uh-huh. point out that of the ten on the list, there's only one woman, Oprah. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> so why? Interesting, right? Yes, yeah, we, interesting. We, we, exactly. You know, Let's talk point, about because I, I think the the uh, the big point. Yeah, I, I think yeah, Oprah again. The, you know, Significant of another barrier to not only African American, but but the data on African American females being successful in the business is even that much more difficult because the the ability for uh, women entrepreneurs to get funding uh, and support from the investment community is even that much more difficult for, uh, compared to African American men. So. Oprah, with her iconic name, you know, again built her reputation with a radio show, with a TV show. You know, she began her career as a TV reporter, as you may recall, and built her reputation on a successful talk show, and then was able to sell this uh, even, uh, you know, at her stature for seventy million, which is still significant. But again, a symbol for other uh, uh, black entrepreneurs. Yeah, let's talk about Robert Johnson, his wife, his ex-wife now, Sheila Johnson, helped him launch BET. She now also has a successful series of resorts, golf resorts, and uh, retreats around the country. Probably hasn't developed the value yet, uh, but she's one of those female entrepreneurs under the radar and others who have had some success, but again, have faced that ceiling, have faced that glass ceiling uh, that they haven't been able to break of getting the secure funding and the massive amount of funding they need to grow and scale their businesses to reach a broader market. All right, so number 10, because I think maybe he may be in a different category. He's somewhat younger than the rest of the list, and he is a Yale graduate, and he mm-hmm. yeah, he's worth, of course, only $60 million, but he just started. <laughs> he's only just begun, so we're assuming he's going to be worth much more than that. Uh, is he in a, a different sort of ball game or in a different ballpark because of his age and his background? And, uh, the, you know, this is a social cam. This is a, a, a different kind of a, a business. Talk to us about it. Is it Seibel or Siebel? Seibel? Yeah, Michael Siebel. Yeah, I mean, yeah. social cam who, who sold for $60 million. So, you know, what Michael was able to do was, you know, get, identify a key uh, you know, target area and the growth of social media, which, as we all know, I mean, even if you go back 10 years ago, what we know of, of some of the social media platforms was, was minimal to compare to how they've exploded now. So what Michael was able to do was identify uh, a tool in, it, in particularly tapping into mobile video, which is one of the fastest growing segments in all forms of media, no less social uh, and and, and you know, transporting that into an app, which also tied to the continued growth uh, 
of mobile phones at that period of time to really create something that was portable, shareable, useful, uh, and very easy to to uh, navigate to an audience that crossed, uh, again, this kind of younger demographic who's used to using their mobile phones for everything. And I think that's what's significant about Michael and, and probably other entrepreneurs who are out there doing similar kinds of technology projects. You know, the Afrotech conference that take place, takes place every year, you know, showcases some of the entrepreneurs that, you know, to your point, again, are doing great work, are looking for future investors uh, and looking to grow. Michael was able to find this investment, and I can guarantee you he and probably like so many others on this list and around the country are continuing to come up with new ideas and seeking other investors to kind of grow those business. You know, as as we learned, as you pointed out, yeah, he, you know, he acquired uh, and, you know, uh, you know, this business, you know, he's a Yale grad. He's the first black partner of a, of a Y Combinator and the first black board member in the Reddit, uh, in Reddit. So, you know, his, his positioning is kind of a symbol to kind of where some of the tech area is growing and, and very much so like, uh, you know, Andre and his work, they are carving out niches in, in technology that I think are, are not only targeting uh, broad markets, but also providing key uh, social, you know, uh, software as a service uh, technology that's going to be the way of the world. Yeah, and I would assume he's a Yaley. He has connections. Uh, just you know. <laughs> A little bit that helps, right, to know yes. that you're in a network of, of an Ivy League that is, yeah. uh, uh, is, is a phone call away. And, and you, know, you know, that's you, know, you mentioned that other thing, a network, and I think that's the other key thing is for some, for many entrepreneurs, you know, Michael was able to tap into that network um, to kind of properly identify other classmates or others who might, uh, you know, invest in that, no less get open to that door. So many other black entrepreneurs don't have that, uh, so they have uh, they have to work that much more harder to get folks to even get them a, a return phone call or email. What about this list? Okay, well, you have a list of 10. Now, there are a lot many more uh, entrepreneurs uh, who could have been on this list, black entrepreneurs. Um, why this list? What, you know, what was the process in choosing these 10? Sure. Well, you know, we, we um, started down this road. Is, uh, we began working uh, with Andre Swanston uh, with our work, with, the, with much of the work I do with Ascendant Group Branding, who works with CEOs and entrepreneurs around the world and helping them build their brand and their media platform. And as we began talking to him, we said, well, you know, this is pretty significant, Andre. Let's dive into some research about who else, you know, what's the, what's the, what's the cohort that's in this very exclusive group. And, and our research showed that, you know, the, the, this group of 10, uh, and we've actually found one other company out of North Carolina that kind of fits into this list and sold their company for about uh, $300 million. But the idea was, who are the other largest uh, black entrepreneurs who sold their companies to significant amounts? And believe it or not, I mean, you, you know, you would, we were hoping to find more than 10, but there really weren't a lot compared to uh, many others, uh, 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 the number of businesses that are out there. And so we boiled it down to this kind of, you know, top 10 list uh, 
that identified some of the some of the most iconic names uh, in business, and you know some of the ones who you've never heard of, the Michael Siebels and the Andres and the and the Richelieu uh, uh, Dennis's of the world. So that was the impetus behind this. We wanted to provide some context of how elite a group this is, uh, how significant uh, this was, and as accomplishment for Black entrepreneurs, and to sh- and really send a message for other Black entrepreneurs that the ability to build a business grow market share, build financial success, and position it as an exit for a major transaction is all possible. And here is a roadmap of some examples of the folks who've done this in the, over the, the last you know, 20 years or so. Well, get, getting back to the list, number eight, Comer Cottrell, uh, 75 to $8 million, and he, he's worth. Uh, and it's interesting, he made his money through... Black cosmetics mar- market. I mean, it took a man to do that. Not a, I keep getting back to the male-female <laughs> issue. I can't help it. But uh, there you go. Uh, I found that very interesting. I guess he, uh, yeah, he's a, he's the biggest yeah. product, well, the, yeah, single product ever to hit the black cosmetics market, and it's a man. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you look at what Comer did. Uh, you know, uh, in building his business to target, again, this very lucrative market. But again, if you look at his success, it was really built uh, in the hair care uh, product business. You'll, you can also look to Madam C.J. Walker, the African-American woman who really began to lay the groundwork for black hair care in this country almost, gosh, 80 uh, or so more years ago with her products. And uh, and what Coma was able to do with his business was kind of use the roadmap of, uh, of Madam C.J. Walker, who was one of the first black millionaires, black women will millionaires as that, so to, uh, to kind of build this, you know, multi-million dollar business that certainly uh, grew the, captured the attention of a major general market company uh, in Alberta, Coma, who realized Who's using these products? What's the value? What's the potential on it? And uh, you know, for Comar again, it became a, a huge opportunity to scale the business and reach even more uh, customers uh, around the country. Now, you are—I don't know if I mentioned this in the beginning—but you are a principal lecturer at the Mayborn School of Journalism. So you speak to a lot of young people, a lot of budding entrepreneurs. I assume. What's their reaction to this? list that you've created? Oh, sure thing. Yes, I, I've, uh, I've taught journalism for 15 years, uh, even have taught a media entrepreneurship class, uh, and, and even now uh, with a recent role as an associate dean at the University of North Texas. I mean, what, what excites me when I work with students and talking about you know, this list and becoming an entrepreneur is the trepidation at first is how do you take an idea and bring it to reality? Um, and and the 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 anxiety that they feel at the beginning of the semester to the, actually the joy of them taking some concept that they develop to the end. I think what this list and what the work that they end up doing shows that it is possible. It's hard, even in a in a in in some of the simulated uh, exercises that I have them do and coming up with a business idea, pitching the business, coming up with a marketing plan, a budget. Uh, and then doing a final business pitch, pitch as if they were, uh, you know, pitching to investors uh, who might invest in their business. Uh, you know, so there, there's um, 
there's a bit of awe in terms of the impressive list that we've created here. There's a bit of excitement that, well, could this possibly be me one day if I stick to my business idea and uh, uh, what I want to accomplish? Uh, and, you know, three, you know, what's considering the possibility? You know, could I potentially overcome some of the barriers that these individuals have? You know, have these individuals hopefully broken through some of the, the barriers that open up opportunities for them as, as uh, budding entrepreneurs that maybe makes their road a little less difficult, uh, though the requirement of hard work and dedication and sweat equity uh, to, be, to help them become as successful as this group. But what about their personalities? Do you think that there is something they have, that one thing that they have in common, amongst other things, obviously, but their personalities, you have to have a certain personality and excitement, a passion, and you have to really convey that to your, the people you're either trying to get money from or whoever you're trying to negotiate with. Do you think that they have that in common, that kind of excitement and, and passion for their product? Yeah, yeah, you said passion. I, I think the the common thread in all of these folks is an innate belief that what they are doing and the business that they've created is is extremely uh, extremely relevant and success and could be very extremely successful because they believe in it. They are driven, uh, whether it's by the the, uh, the 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 barriers that they've had to hurdle over, and they are continuously driving to be successful not only uh, because of their ideas, but also because of the fact that they know that they are trailblazers. They have built their successes on, on those in the past, but they see themselves as really setting the pace for being successful and being symbols of success based on their work and hard work. I mean, so the drive, the energy, the ability to break stereotypes, the ability to basically tell the world that, you know, we are, are uh, not going to be stuck in a box. So we want, we have something to prove to the world that we can contribute to the business and economy of the, of the country itself and also provide wealth uh, and potentially uh, income to uh, not only their, their legacies and their families, but their communities as well. And when you hear about these these success stories, huge success stories. One of the things that I always hear is that pe- those who are able to accomplish what these men and women have been able to do is they they fail, they're resilient, they can turn failures into success. Uh, they don't let those kinds of things get you down when you fail. Quite the opposite. They use that as an opportunity to go forward. And I'm assuming that would apply to all of these on the list, all 10 of these individuals. Yeah, all of them can tell you stories about what didn't work yeah. and and uh, how there were periods at which they probably you know, may, may have wanted to give up, but that was never really an option. Um, and so with, with each of those setbacks or those failures, uh, it really became actually, uh, and Andre talks a lot about this, that his driving force, that it wasn't even about, oh, it was like, how do I succeed? That if I hit a roadblock here, what is it that's going to drive me to do better, uh, learn more from what didn't happen, and overcome that difficulty so that I can drive to, I can continue to use my passion, my, my intellect, my expertise to uh, become successful and, and, 
you know, all of them will tell you that, you know, without those setbacks, they would, you know, that, that only motivate them that much more become that much more successful. A great list. We expect to have a lot more on this list uh, very soon and uh, would like to hear from you again, obviously, when you compile another list of, of, of these successful entrepreneurs. But um, I've been talking to CEO and strategist Neil Foote uh, about the 10 of the largest black business exits in history. Uh, so, uh, Neil, give us a website and or websites, and maybe you have several that we can go to to get more information about your work, what you do, and, uh, you know, going forward, uh, we'll have more information, and uh, we'll have to have you on the show again. Uh, thank you so much for having me today, Catherine. Yes, you can follow me on social at footcom, F-O-O-T-E-C-O-M-M, uh, my website is neilfoot.com, N-E-I-L-F-O-O-T-E.com. You can also learn more at the University of North Texas, where I am teaching and an administrator at unt.edu. And, of course, my, well, a longtime business partner and colleague, uh, Raul Davis, who runs ascendantgroupbranding.com. You can learn more about uh, the great work what we're doing there as well. So I, I really appreciate Catherine talking about this list, and would love to join you uh, and your your listeners in, in another conversation about this issue or any others as we as we uh, kind of talk about the growth of business, uh, the growth of Black entrepreneurs, the opportunities that are created, and some of the innovative uh, uh, things that are going on that I think really have an impact on on all of us. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show, Neil Foote. Great having you. Thank you so much, Catherine. Have a great day. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 